Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Dave, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. My guest in this episode uh, is a past winner of the WA Business Person of the Year. Uh, She is one of our state's most successful and well-known chefs. She's a published author uh, and as well uh, a great tourism ambassador, not only for WA but for Australia. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Kate Lamont. Hi, Tim. Hi, Kate. How are you? Splendid. Thank you. Excellent. Um, so many things that you've done and achieved over your time. Uh, when, when people ask you, what do you do, Kate? How do you answer that? Oh, well, I'm actually a cook. I cook. Yeah. And I cook every day. Uh, and I still, after more than doing it for more than 35 years, really love it. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I run a small business, mm. employ lots of West Australians, and have a real interest in the success of Perth, mm. which of which the visitor economy or tourism is a big part of. Yeah, I want to talk to you about tourism in, in some depth uh, sure. in a moment because it's been such a hot topic here, hasn't it? Uh-huh. Um, just getting people here mm-hmm. and uh, really enhancing the experience uh, yes. for visitors, uh, yes. whether they're from interstate or, or from overseas. Um, I'm sure you've got some some thoughts on that. Um, but look, just the the cooking. Where did the 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 energy for cooking come from? Is it in your blood? Uh, I think so. I, I just was really fortunate. We grew up we grew up in the Swan Valley. Yeah. Um, and my mum's family were winemakers. Yeah. And there's quite a long tradition of that, generations of it. Um, my great grandparents both uh, came from winemaking families in the Barossa Valley. They were from Germany. Right. And. Um, they, my great grandfather George came to Western Australia to make wine at Valencia, which then became Horton. Right. And then his son. So, you know, my grandfather was a guy called Jack Mann, who many, many people wouldn't have heard of, but, but most people would know, even, even sort of people in their 30s, I guess, would know Horton's White Burgundy. Yes. Um, which was a phenomenal, iconic yeah. white wine. Um, and what I think is extraordinary about the history of that wine, and it's inextricably linked with my grandfather, is that he started making a dry white table wine in the 1930s Yeah, when no one in Australia drank dry wine. Mm. We drank sherry in port occasionally um, and it just was not a mainstream uh, alcoholic drink in the mm. way it is these days. And so he, of course I knew him. I was really lucky. I got to spend, you know, he didn't die till I was in my mid-20s. But uh, so I spent a lot of time with him and he was like, I think, all the things that WA is known for, you know, he was courageous. He was an inventor. He wasn't afraid of being isolated. He was good at making decisions. 
And so how he convinced his employer to, you know, bring out a a filter from Germany mm. in the 1930s, how he convinced his employer to allow him to make a dry wine when no one was drinking dry wine, mm. and then how he had the courage to call it white burgundy, which mm. is a French name, um, made f- traditionally from, or still to this day, made only from Chardonnay. Yeah. We weren't even growing Chardonnay in Australia then. Mm. So he must have had a little bit of cheeky entrepreneur in him as well. And so... Our family kind of always, I grew up in an environment where there was always wine, and with wine goes great food. Absolutely. Yeah. Why separate them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is all in South Australia. uh, Well, no, he moved. Initially. Yeah, what what, what brought him here? So, Well, he came in the early 1900, 1901 or 1902. My great-grandfather, George, came to take up a job as the winemaker for the EMU. I think it was some wine company anyway. Yeah. That... um, Started had Valencia in the Swan mm. Valley and then mm. subsequently Horton. Okay. So he made wine there and then his son Jack, who's yeah. my grandfather, took over from him. So this is all on your mother's side? All on my mother's side, yeah. Because the name Lamont, yeah. I mean, if you didn't already have the association with <laughs> with yeah. great food and wine, it sounds like it should be the name of a wine or, or a restaurant well, or something. Well, you know, my What's father the history will remind Lamont? you that Lamont is really Lament. We're the the Laments are from Scotland. Oh, really? And I think the Campbells wiped the Laments out, actually. So, Is that right? um, yeah. So, sometimes, of course, it's handy to pretend so it's, it's French, Scottish. Um, <laughs> for the purposes of food and wine, but That's the truth false is, advertising it's, uh, it's Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, it's served you well, hasn't it? Uh-huh. The Lamont name, because it's so well established here. What, what are your current uh, Lamont interests in WA? Well, we are in wine and food, so yep. we make wine. Yep. Uh, we grow grapes, we make wine. Yep. Uh, and we make wine from grapes from across WA. So we've always been a small business focused mm-hmm. on making wine from grapes from where they grow best. So, you know, we take Riesling out of Franklin because it's cool down there and it grows great Riesling. We take Chardonnay, Semillon, Semillon Sauvignon Blanc Cabernet out of Margaret River. Mm-hmm. And we grow Verdello and Shiraz in the Swan Valley. Right. Yeah. And in terms of, of of the food, obviously the you know the yeah. the, the wine interest goes yeah. back generations. Yeah. But uh, are you the first in the in the family to really uh, explore food as the passion in a commercial sense? Yeah. yeah, I mean, my grandmother was an amazing cook. Yep, and so is my mum, and so we always had great food on the table. Mm. And and I grew up in a household where we did eat seasonally. Mm. My grandfather, who was a winemaker, was also a great uh, veggie grower. Yeah, so we always had cauliflowers and cabbages in winter and corn and tomatoes in summer. Mm. Um, and so I grew up really understanding uh, that food tastes best when it's in season. Yeah. And although that's so dramatically changed with our global transport systems now, and of course things are grown, it's, they're in season somewhere in the world. Yeah. And if you really want them, you can get them. But I always think my best explanation for this is, you know, when that first asparagus comes in late August, September out of Albany, and it's just delicious, that Torbay asparagus, and that's when you know it just tastes fantastic. Yeah. You're like, why doesn't asparagus taste like this all year? Yeah. Well, because it's in season, close to our market, and that's why it's so delicious. Like figs are about to start now. Yeah. So just look for figs in the market because mm. they're grown here and mm. they're right here right now for about a month. You've obviously, um, uh, you know, been an ambassador for WA in terms of uh, food and, and tourism nationally, and I'm sure you've spent a lot of time overseas. How food literate are we here, do you think? Highly. Yeah? Yeah. I think Australians are in a, the most enviable, fortunate position because we have amazing seafood, yeah, and we have a, we have so much land to grow food. 
yeah. on, and we have such fertile soil all over the country. Yeah. So we grow great beef, great lamb. Of course, we have great seafood from our oceans, mm. and we grow fantastic vegetables mm. and fruit. So we're incredibly lucky. You know, raspberries from the south, beautiful grapes from the Swan Valley, amazing vegetables coming out of Carnarvon. Mm. So we're in – because we have access to great ingredients, and if you think it just in the last – few decades. Like, I don't know, some of your listeners, I sure remember when Claremont Fresh opened and it was just revolutionary, yeah. you know, five different types of lettuce and <laughs> six different types of tomatoes. It was incredible. Eye-opening. And yeah. so we've, and fresh orange juice. Remember when they had a machine <laughs> that made fresh orange juice? Yeah. And that was like, so oh, that's incredible. That's, from. <laughs> that's been around for decades now. So we're just so lucky in this country. Yeah. And because we have access to ingredients uh, and because we're much more in tune these days with what eating well means. Mm eating healthily, uh, I think that we're very food literate for a nation that doesn't really have really enormous cultural um, history mm. uh, like some European countries do. Yep. In terms of taking that passion for, for, for produce and, and cooking into a business arena, yes. I mean, a lot of people are, are great home cooks and have, you know, undeniable passion for food and, and you know, love to, um, to cook the stuff that they eat. But uh, to take it into the business arena, how big a step was that for you? Um, I think for my, when my sister and I opened our little restaurant with the support of my parents in the Swan Valley, yep. I don't think I had any real understanding of what mm. it would be like. We just loved to cook. Uh, we made wine. We wanted to sell our food and wine together. And my sister and I were happy to work in that space yep. and understood the commitment of working in hospitality, which, of course, was nights and weekends. Mm. Uh but to grow a business, uh, you know, I learned very quickly that consistency is everything. You have to absolutely deliver on your marketing promise. Uh, it needs to be good every single time. Yep. You know, I say to my staff all the time, you know, you might portion 100 sirloin steaks, you might cook 200 poached eggs in the morning, but the person that eats it only has one. Mm -hmm. So every single one needs to be perfect. Mm -hmm if we are going to build confidence in the market that people will love our brand and mm. want to come back to it. And currently, of course, you've got, uh, so your Swan Valley uh, mm. establishment, you've got Bishop's House uh -huh. in the city, you've got uh, the Smith's Beach yep. uh, Resort yep. uh, down south. Yep. Is it, has it gotten tougher to open and, and sustain these businesses oh, over the years? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. Why is that? Uh, it's highly competitive. Yeah. Um, and there's, of course, a shortage of talent. Yeah. And any any successful business, no matter what sector it's in, needs great people, talented people. Uh, and WA, I think, does have a, a shortage of diversity of work opportunities. Mm. And we have a shortage of talent to fill all those opportunities. So as we've diversified our business, you know, we moved from – I started a little shop on St. George's Terrace um, and the – got a liquor license, which was extraordinary back in those days. Um, and so when you think about how Perth's changed, mm. of liquor licensing. Mm. And then when we started our little uh, business in Cottesloe, which was is really a wine store where you can eat and drink. So yep. we're always trying to furnish our market with new ideas, with maintaining quality. Yeah. And is that the key to your success, getting those good people, keeping them there and just maintaining the standards? I think so. I think yeah. consistency is everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we need to take a break. Uh, Kate Lamont is our special guest in this episode of WA's Inspiring Stories. We're going to talk about uh, your tourism roles over the years after the break. So I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on uh, where we're going right and where we're going wrong. Back with more soon. 
You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories, where our special guest in this episode is Kate Lamont. Kate's a I want to talk to you about tourism because it is such a big issue here in, in WA and there's been, I think, an effort at least to, to get it right and to get people here. Now, you've, um, you've had roles at a state level and also uh, at a national level. So um, firstly, how do you think we're going? I mean, we constantly get these uh, updated figures, you know, showing that numbers aren't great. Um, we're struggling just to get people here on the ground and exploring WA. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think we're going? Look, I think the market ebbs and flows. I think that we have a great product here. Mm. It's just so incredibly competitive to get our messaging out there. And so, you know, we're competing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of destinations around the world that also have great beaches, Mm. (laughs) beautiful forests, fantastic wine and food. So it's it's a very, very hard business and it's very competitive. Yeah. Um, And I think the – I think – consecutively West Australian governments are doing the right thing because ultimately we have to get airlines to come here. Yep. People have to be able to get here. And the reality is they have to fly to get here. Mm. You can talk about the edges with cruising and what have you, but the bottom line is um, for people to come to Western Australia, they need to fly here. Yeah. And so as people's tastes over the years have changed, um, I mean, who would have said that uh, no problem to fly London, Perth direct? Yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary. And so, Are we maximising that opportunity, though, do you think? In time, I think we will. We've yeah. got a flight. That's yeah. pretty exciting. And so then, of course, it's about connecting with those people most likely to take that flight. Because, of course, the other thing about um, our distance is that you have to be reasonably well off to be able to afford to yep. come to Australia for And have holiday. a decent amount of time off. That's right. And so that's why uh, we have to be targeting, which I believe all the tourism authorities in Western, mm. Australia, in Western Australia and Australia do, is to be targeting those most likely. Yep. So A, we have to uh, have the flights for them to get on. We have to have the hotel rooms for them to sleep on. And of course, we had a big glitch around that yep. um, earlier, but that's absolutely fixed now mm. and totally on track. We've got mm. some fantastic stock of hotel rooms and we've got flights. So now the, 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 the other bit of the triangle is is to make sure people know they can come mm. and what can what can we deliver for them. Mm. And then all the way down the track then goes to the businesses that are here to make sure that we deliver on that promise, yep. that we do give great service, we do have great food and wine, it is safe. Um, and, once, and I think those things we're all pretty good at. Yeah. So we've got to get the flights. Just got to get them here. And we've got to continue marketing. We've got to continue to tell people that we're here mm. in all sorts of ways. And it's not just about traditional marketing. It's mm. about... Any way you can get into someone's ear. Mm. Uh, tell me, how did you become the chairperson of, of Tourism Western Australia? Well, I was on the board for a few years yeah. prior to that, and the opportunity was presented, and I grabbed it because mm. I really feel that sometimes. And, sorry, what year are we talking here? Uh, 2006, 2012. Yeah. yeah. That's, and, that's a decent stretch. And it was fantastic because, yeah. and it was when I have personally a great belief in, and, and there are others who agree with me and some, of course, who disagree, that one of the best ways to attract visitors is is to run events. Yep. Because, you know, Australia is a highly desirable destination and so is Western Australia. 
But people have lots of choices. And so giving them a hook, giving them an absolute reason to come now rather than something we'll do one day. And events are absolutely the reason why people will choose to come. And we've even seen that just with the, in this beautiful the new stadium we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden there are plenty of people on the East Coast who have been meaning to come to WA. They've got a cousin here or they've heard about Ningaloo or they know love to go to Margaret River. But you know what made them come? Their football team was playing here. Mm. And there was yep. a fantastic new stadium that everyone's talking about, the quality of it, and that's what actually drives it. So mm. events, small and large, are ultimately what drives. So I was really ambitious when I was chairman of Tourism WA to try and lift our events um, choice and portfolio, which of course is around funding yeah. and support. Yeah. And governments have lots of demands on their money. Yeah. But for me, one of the best investments you can make in tourism beyond airlines and having hotel rooms is having things to do. So mm. events are really important. Do we need a, a really big, significant landmark, marquee, whatever you want to call it, event here? Um, I mean, you, you hear people from time to time suggest uh, various things, whether, whether it's a sporting event or a cultural event. Do we need something that's just undeniably massive on our calendar here? Look, there's two schools of thought on it. Uh, have one marquee event yep. or have lots of different events mm. that also always target the people who are most likely to come. It's mm-hmm. no good having events that mm. people can't afford to come to or won't come to in the markets that we know are most likely to come. So, of course, I would love a big marquee event. But what when you what would your about, dream marquee event be? Oh, and, you, well, and was there anything you went after when you were – Oh, they're sitting in the chair as a chairperson. Really, um, <laughs> to tattle about that in terms of um, government and commercial things, but the the thing is that we need to play to our strengths. Yeah. So it's around our beautiful river, around our ocean, around our great wine and food, around our space. You know, there's enormous interest in the Kimberley. There's enormous interest in Margaret River, and I think we need to play to our strengths. Yeah. And that's why Gourmet Escape's so fantastic in Margaret River because yep. it's bringing international chefs to a place. And these days, of course, the world's changed so much in terms of social media and um, getting beautiful images out there mm. instantly. And so, and I also think you, you absolutely can't go wrong with a great sporting event because, yeah. because that also drives lots and lots of chatter and talk and people want to come. Yeah. Um, I mean, just for instance, we had the – just thinking about the river, you just took my mind back to when we had the, the Red Bull The Red Bull, Amazing. race. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, did that, how, how did these sorts of events come about? Because uh, that would have come under your watch, it did, correct? Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it went. How do you land an watch. event like that? Um, it was opportunity. You know, there's always opportunities. People are always looking. And if you've got your eyes out and your ears open to what's going on, mm. and that was a moment in time where it was a phenomenal event and it was new and exciting and we had the perfect kind of – arena for it and it was natural. Mm. It was incredible. But then of course all of those events that are run by with commercial partners, commercial partners priorities change. Um and that event had probably had its time yep. and and it and it finished. So, you know, there's a strong argument that people talk about it with events that we need to have homegrown events, things like the Rotness Swim yep. um, and other events where people can't it can't be moved or taken away or stopped, that it's actually ours. Um, and when you have homegrown events, the thing everyone has to remember is you need time. You need decades and decades. Mm. And when you think about amazing events Australia's known for, Melbourne Cup as an example, it's not something that just started no. five years ago. <laughs> it's something that has a really long history 
And so to build events, you have to invest and you have to stick with it and stay with it for a long time. And, of course, it has to be an event that people who live here love Mm. because if it works at home and people who live here are proud of it and love it, there's every chance they'll entice their friends and the advocacy for the event will grow and grow and visitors will come. Tricky to tick every box then, isn't it? And and fill all those criteria. What would your, what would your, you know, in a fantasy world, what would your dream event be here for Perth? Oh, I think it would absolutely be connected with water and wine and food. Okay. And when I think about some of the incredible arts events that, Remember we had those huge the giants. The giants. Oh, that How was phenomenal. Was captured that? the city. It was amazing. And yeah. for us to be able to start coordinating things like that, that a give the city enormous profile internationally, and then for our capacity to come in underneath it with beautiful landscape, great wine and food, um, and it's something that the people that live here love. Mm. Um, that's that's the kind of thing. And I think we've got the talent here and we've got the creative talent in Perth to really have something that has a strong arts focus that can incorporate um, our great hospitality, wine and food, and our local yeah. beautiful landscape. Can I ask, when you were um, working with Tourism Australia, obviously yeah. at, a, at a national level, yeah. um, how did you find uh, that experience, given that you were so obviously passionate yeah. about it, all things yeah. WA? Yeah. How did you go at a national level? Well, I suppose you're trying to you know, represent the country at a whole. I'm sure you were um, yeah, trying, to, of course, uh, trying you know, to stick you, up for WA I along, mean, there, along the way. Anyone who's listening knows if you're a director, you've, there's a thing called fiduciary duty yeah. and um, you absolutely need to be focused on yep. the whole of Australia. And I, and I do have a view that, you know, most people around the world know about Sydney. Mm. Wherever you go in the world, if they say you're from Australia, they say Sydney yep. if, if they don't know you. Mm. And so my view is that Sydney has to be on fire because if Sydney's on fire, then at least the rest of Australia's got a chance to be on fire. So I was never, ever People from Melbourne will hate hearing you say that. Upset or worried. (laughs) I know. But, you know, I was never upset or worried if um, it it became about Sydney from time to time because that was the name that people knew. And we know from all our research, and it's very strong evidence, that People visiting Western Australia, it's not the first time they've come to Australia. Yep. They usually come to Australia once and they usually do the reef, the rock and the bridge. Yep. And they love it. They're amazed and so taken with Australia, the people, the climate, the food and wine, the distance, and they want to come back. And Western Australia is a really strong candidate for a second visit. Mm. And that's really why it's so important that Australia as a whole works. Yeah. And that's sometimes but frustrating it, for us parochials. Yeah, that's what want, I mean. We want Western Australia to be absolutely number one. Um, but the point is that w- the whole country has to be working. Yeah. And that's where we're in a little bit of – and I heard Evan Hall recently talking about – he's a, a CEO of Tourism yes. Association here – talking about his frustration because it feels like the rest of Australia is working mm. and WA is not really firing. No. Yeah. Um, and, look, I think there's some legacy issues there yeah. where people still do consider us to be expensive, which frustrates us all enormously because we're not. Um, when you look at if you want to compare room rates around mm. Australia now, we're very competitive. We've got brand-new hotels. So I think – Sometimes during that frustration, I know this from my own business, you know, you just have to stick at it. You have to hold your nerve, stick at it, and keep telling your story. Mm. Did you? So did you find in your time then uh, at the national tourism level uh, that your, I suppose, colleagues, if you like, 
uh, on the board there. Um, were they dismissive of WA or they didn't believe in its potential as much? Um, how did they view WA and the opportunities here? Uh, I don't think they were dismissive. I just think they were they didn't know it. Yeah. And that's part of this, this incredible importance. I know I'm banging on about it, but you must no, but tell it, your it's story. Such a, it's, it, people love to talk about it here, though, don't they? You have to tell your story. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Western Australia is just not upper mind um, in those in in the minds that are on the east coast making decisions about all sorts of things. I mean, mm. I wouldn't. Tourism is probably not the only sector where where West Australian business people say it's so frustrated. I mean, I even know that issue that um, West Australians are so used to travelling. You know, many 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 business people in WA get that five fifty flight AM out of Perth in the morning and go to Sydney, Melbourne, or Brisbane for a meeting and fly home that night. Now. Yeah. Nobody on the East Coast has any concept no. of what that means at all. And yet we just do it because we want to be at the table and, and we want mm. to be part of the discussion. Mm. And so until we – and that's what that's why the stadium is such a phenomenal investment yep. for us yep. because it will make a lot of people hop on that plane. Um, you know, lots of people on the East Coast think long hauls to Perth, you know. Totally. And so whereas – we think long hauls to London. But they'll do it for a footy team. But they'll do it for a footy team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, your flirtation with politics uh-huh. after the break. Uh, Kate Lamont is our special guest. Uh, this is Inspiring Stories here on 882 6BR. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one, as you just heard, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Uh, and in this episode, we're hearing the story of Kate Lamont, a former WA Business Person of the Year, a successful chef, a business owner, a cookbook author, a tourism ambassador. Uh, and as we're about to find out, Almost a state politician. Take us back to 2012, Kate. Your name popped up uh, as a possible uh, contender uh, for the state Liberal Party. Take us back to 2012. How did all that come about? Uh, As it turns out, far too quickly, and Mm. I didn't do nearly enough background work to establish myself as a a legitimate candidate in uh, the minds of those who were making those decisions. Um, Colin Barnett was very keen. To have you well, on board, wasn't I it? I had got to know him through tourism, right? And so I and I believed in in what the government was trying to do, particularly in terms of tourism, but also in building infrastructure. You know, new hospital, stadium, mm-hmm. uh, improving our road network, yep. um, schools. I thought those things were really important, and um, because I'd worked. Um, First, you know, chaired a statutory authority and had understood a little about how the bureaucracy works. I thought I had enough background to be able to, you know, they often say when politicians get elected, they just it just blows their mind when they get there because they don't really understand the scope and scale of the work. Yeah. Um, and because I'd had some opportunity to to work um, with a government agency, um, and when we did the state tourism strategy, I got to meet other um, heads of departments, and I kind of understood how the wheels of government were mm. outside of the politics. Um, I was really keen and really interested. And and the other thing was I really I really believe that um, 
most politicians are, are decent, good people who who want to do their best for their electorate or their state. And I um, wanted to make a contribution. You know, I thought it could be better. There are things that I have burning interest in and passion for. Mm. And so the opportunity came along and I I said I'd have a try. Yeah. yeah. So how did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? Did Colin oh, it was, call we, it you was into his office? Or? We just were talking about things and I went away and thought thought about it. Yeah. Um, and I talked to my family about it, of course. Because it's, it a, it's a, a huge decision, undertaking, isn't it? Lifestyle-wise. Yeah. Um, and change for my family and our family business that I would no longer have been able to be working in. Yeah. Um, and they were really supportive and said, if that's what you want to do, try. Yeah. And so then I had a lead-up time where I talked to lots of people and um, made the call to put my hat in the ring, and it was a fascinating process. Fascinating. In the seat of? Churchlands. Churchlands, yeah. yeah. And so it was a fascinating process to meet lots of people who lived in the electorate uh, and to talk to the the way the party machine works. Um, and I thought it was a really good contest. And yeah. and on the day, the best person won and it wasn't me. And I'm very relaxed about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised at the time because they expected that if you were going to enter uh, the political arena, it might have been with the other side. <laughs> um, was it obviously, you know, you – spoke to Colin for your own reasons and you you were working with him at the time but um should people have been surprised by that oh uh, look uh, when i the the work that i did um on different government boards and agencies i always really strongly believe that if you're appointed by the minister you you absolutely are loyal and mm. deliver the minister's ambition mm. and that's that's your role if you sit mm. on a government board of course you give frank and fearless advice but you're there to deliver the, mm. el- the electoral promises that, that that government's made and i um you know as i said i think golly apart from the ideological edges and look i'm a small business person so yes. i'm really interested in in the economy and about people's opportunity to to get a job and have a great job and if you work hard you deserve to reap the benefits. Yep. So I guess ideologically I'm a bit more in the Liberal camp than the sure. Labor camp. Yep. Having said that, I have lots of respect for many of the ambitions that that some of the Labor politicians have for our, mm. for our state and our country. So um, I – if people were surprised, um, I guess it just means that I think I was doing my job. I was being supporting the government of the day yep. in my role as chairman or, or director um, mm. on any government things. And I had some great opportunities. I worked on a board that um, looked at changing the apprenticeship system, and that was fantastic and really interesting. And yeah. that was under Lil Ravlich years mm. ago. Yeah. Mm. Um, there was a, a little bit of rumour at the time after um, uh, the party – chose to pre-select a different candidate yep. in Churchlands that you might have uh, put your hand up for Bateman. Was that ever a serious consideration for you? No. No? I really – I learned so much during that process that I realised I needed to do a lot more work. Mm. And then when I reassessed all of that, I felt that it was my business that needed me more. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so I – and really, for the last five or six years, I've been working really hard in my business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you were considering a, a career in politics or a career change, mm-hmm. um, prioritising politics, how would all that have, have worked with your business interests? Oh, I just – we would have – we probably wouldn't have grown to the, mm. the scale that we have. Um, and uh, there are plenty of good people around there. I'm not I'm – not, um, what's the word for it? I'm not 
indispensable. There's plenty of people that can do my job in my business. Um, so uh, I think it would have been okay. It just would have been different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, looking back, it's what seven years ago now yeah, that uh, you went through all the, all yeah. of this. I'm sure time time has flown. Um, but do you ever look back and, and wonder what might have been, and, and you know, perhaps uh, imagined yourself spending time in Parliament and, and possibly enjoying it, or no regrets? Oh, no regrets. Yeah, uh, at all. Yeah, uh, I I continue to have enormous interest in what happens politically. Mm. State and yeah, are you, you're still pretty I'm invested. Still, I'm a bit of a political junkie, yeah, yeah, but um, I have absolutely no regrets. Yeah, um, tell us about Bishop's House, it's mm-hmm. such an iconic uh, and special place, uh, in Perth. But I, I think to a lot of people, I, I'm not sure they know what it is and why it's there and the history of it and 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 what role it it, it takes on now. Um, just well, For those who don't know the, Bishop's House, tell yeah. us where it is and, and it's, it's why you've taken in, ownership of it. I think it. it's in Mount Street. Yeah. And it's kind of for people who don't, can't even imagine where Mount Street is. It's on the corner of Spring Street and Mounts Bay Road. Sorry, Mounts Bay Road, not Mount Street, Mounts Bay Road. And it's kind of opposite the convention centre. Yeah. And many people have stopped at those traffic lights and probably not even noticed the wooden picket fence and the big trees. Um, but if you're driving by... Um, Look up and you'll see it. It's the most incredible little oasis in the city. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it was built for the bishop. And what's mm. so amazing about it is that the picket fence was actually the river. So what? all that land between Mounts Bay Road and where the convention centre is was once – I mean, it may right? have been sort of the edge of the river, but um, the, because the, the boat, bank, a boat could come to the bottom of the garden. Is that right? Yeah, we've seen photos. It's extraordinary. Wow, that's a long way. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. From what and so we know as the edge of the river. It's a beautiful home, beautifully built, still in great condition. Yeah. And we just feel really privileged that the um, people, the, the stewards of that site, I mean, it's owned mm. by the Anglican Church. Yep. Um, and Hawaiian and Brookfield own it. And we were just, it was an EOI opportunity. Yep. Um, which I, to be honest, didn't expect that we would. Um, win that EOI. Yeah. And it's been fantastic because to have a hospitality business in there means that so many West Australians can visit it. Well, exactly. And so I think we do we do lots of weddings and corporate events there. Yep. And people that come there for the first time are just amazed. Yeah. This little pocket of history that... Yeah. And it's this beautiful so undiscovered to many people. Surrounded by high-rise. At yep. nighttime, it's just spectacular because mm. all the high-rise with the neon buildings. Mm. And there's this sort of really quite modest mm. old home, two-storey home, with be- stunning gardens, beautiful mm. trees. Yeah. yeah. Quite a responsibility to take on that, isn't it? Yeah, are you responsible for the, the maintenance of the, of the property? Oh, only in a lease, yeah. lease sense. Yeah. Um, and the landlords are highly responsible mm. um, because it's... Um, Heritage listed. Yeah. Uh, and we are very moderate users of the space. We don't do massively large events. So I think our business is a really good fit in mm. that place. But if, if anyone's listening and they haven't been, just feel free to come and look at the gardens. They're just spectacular. Yeah. And poke your head in the restaurant. The guys will show you around. And, and consider that the river was know, uh, almost spooky, lapping at the picket yeah. fence. That's extraordinary. Yeah. I'd love to see the photos yeah. one day. I can't even quite yeah, imagine it because it's, it's a long way from mm. – the present mm. edge of the river, isn't it? Uh, Kate Lamont is our special guest in this edition of Inspiring Stories. We need to take a break, Kate. We'll be back with more soon. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR 
brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, this edition, we are featuring the story of Kate Lamont. Uh, Kate, I asked you at the, at the very start of the program when I introduced you, you know, all of the things that you have been over the years, but uh, essentially you said you're a cook. Mm-hmm. Um, is that still what gets you up in the morning? I mean, the, the first thoughts that enter your mind, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to cook? <laughs> oh, I'm always thinking about what I'm going to eat. Um, <laughs> look, I think I'm also uh, – cooking is something that I – that I don't tire of. Yep. Nothing more exciting than putting up a, a delicious looking and you know it tastes good plate of food mm. and it coming back empty. Yep. It's it's highly kind of tangible and, and it's quick. It happens. Yep. And the other thing in our industry, I guess, is when something goes wrong, it's pretty easy to fix. Yeah. You know, if the worst thing that happens is someone's steak isn't the way they'd like it, you can you can pretty quickly fix that. Yeah. So um, it's not life or death in yeah. my sector. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing that I enjoy very much, even though some days it's hard, is that I come from a, a philosophy that, you know, it's my obligation to get the shop open every day. Yeah. In that kind of sense. Mm. So um, the buck stops with me. And while sometimes that is incredibly frustrating and tiring, particularly when you're relying on other people, whether Mm. that be your butcher or your manager or anything in between. Um, I do really like it. I I enjoy having that responsibility. You do, yeah. And um, I think that's really what Mm. gets me up every day. Because I suppose when your name is, you know, on the building. uh, Yeah, sure. As it were. Yeah. That comes with great responsibility. You can't expect other people to – to have the same, I suppose, level of interest and commitment as you, can you? Well, it's funny. One of the first lessons I learned as an employer was probably much to my surprise way back then was that, you know, my staff didn't love their jobs as much as I love mine. Yeah. (laughs) And so, of course, some do. Some are completely into it. And then, of course, other people have got families and kids. And Mm. what they're really thinking about is is getting all that cutlery polished or whatever so they can get home and pick up their kids or – um, get the coffees made or get the function done or whatever. So I think we're really lucky. We have a really great pool of talented people mm. who love food and wine mm. and love putting their best foot forward every time. Mm. Um, but it is something that for me, uh, I'm really comfortable taking the responsibility of getting the shop open every day. Yeah. And 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 you do. You were just telling us about your uh, your recent um, summer holidays, yeah, or my, right. many people are on holidays. Um, you had to go and spend a chunk of that down at your establishment, absolutely. Um, yeah. And down I think at Smith's Beach, and and was it five weeks there? You didn't go to the beach once. Not once. Very sad. <laughs> uh, but I'll get to go plenty of other. Times. I think it's just uh, you know when my customers are there, I need to make sure that they're getting the best. They're we're being the best we can be. Yeah. And when you. When our businesses are busy, I like to be there. Yeah. What do you do to unwind then? I do like a glass of Chablis after work, I have to say. (laughs) Um, I love swimming in the ocean. Yeah. And I like to travel. I like to see what other people are doing. Mm. I think I'm not a – I love – I'm interested in logistics. I'm interested in how things happen. Um, I'm always looking for an idea. You know, I always look for something that I could be better. I'm a great believer in continuous improvement. Mm. And I've always got my eyes and ears open for a better way of doing something. Yeah. Can you tell us what's on your radar then? Oh, it's about food. It's about presentation styles. It's a, yeah. I'm a great advocate for deliciousness. Mm. But I'm also fascinated by and really 
absolutely see the need for improvements in productivity. You know, we have to be able to find ways to do things better, quicker, faster, more effectively, more thoroughly Mm. um, and safely. Uh, But the world is moving fast and we need to get our skates on to keep up so that we remain competitive and viable um, so that we can maintain the lifestyles that we have. You obviously love talking and communicating. I've been talking a lot. Sorry, uh, Tim. No, no, no. No, not a criticism at all. But, you, you, you know, this is not the first time you've been uh, in a radio studio talking into a microphone, is it? You've, sure. you've, you've done, you know, over the years, uh, many hours mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a radio studio or writing columns uh-huh. uh, for newspapers. Yeah. Do, do you enjoy that aspect of it as well? Well, I do like communicating because I think, you know, and it goes back to my comments about tourism, you know, you must tell your story. And uh, so I love conversations and Mm. I like a bit of animated debate too Mm. because you always learn something. And sometimes when you're pushed a bit and made Mm. to think just that bit harder, um, the responses can actually turn a light bulb on. And so I think one of the things that I need to do every day is communicate and communicate effectively and well. Speaking of controversial debates and animated debates, and I don't mean to end on a controversial note here, um, what have you made of the of the crayfish stoush then recently here in WA? Oh, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because um, would that impact on you and you know putting crays on the on the menu at your restaurants? Um, possibly, although I think that I could have it on now. It mm. all comes down to what the market's prepared to pay. Yeah. Um, and years and years ago, of course, I decided that marin were more down our line than crayfish. And so we love serving West Australian marin. Mm. But that's at a similar price point. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure about how this crayfish issue will land. It would be great for West Australians to be able to enjoy more crayfish. But, yep. you know, it's a, it's a rare commodity. And um, if we want some, we can have some. Yeah. Can I ask you just this? This might be the unanswerable question, yes. but given you are such a foodie, I want to ask you this final question. This is the, this is the death row last meal Uh-oh. question. Uh, if you could eat anything, any everything's in season at this point. Mm-hmm. What would you have on your plate for your final meal? Oh, they're not quite in season together, but if they were, <laughs> I'd have um, beautifully soft poached eggs, fresh yep. asparagus, and shaved truffle. Beautiful. I'm hungry now. <laughs> we better wrap up and go eat. Kate Lamont, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Uh, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one, Kate Lamont's, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.